I want to say one thing before we get to the word, and I, I think we don't say this enough. I want to show uh, appreciation to you guys for the church that you are, the congregation that you are, the people that you are. And I want to pause for a moment and say to you, man, I love you guys. I appreciate the men and women in this room who serve diligently, who love the Lord passionately, and uh, we can so do what we do and never take a moment to just pause and, and just look around at what God has done. And I uh, thank you. Um, the, we are all growing because we are growing together. None of us are growing because we are alone. We are getting better because we are all getting better together. So thank you for being the hub, being great people, being disciples, loving God, loving people, touching the city in, in different areas. And the people going to speak today are just another testament of people just applying the word, word in their everyday life. So could you pause for a moment and give yourselves a hand? You're amazing. Today we are privileged to have two speakers. I'm going to uh, introduce them both now and then um, they will uh, follow each other. The, the first one is Michael Cole. Uh, who is uh, recently married, and uh, his picture is amazing, and his, uh, his nose is shining. Um, uh, their bios are a lot, and I'm not going to read uh, the entirety of the bios, but here, here is their CV. They are uh, walking in obedience. Uh, they're, they're walking in the same, uh, in, in, the, in one direction of obedience for a very long time. That's why they're speaking, uh, because they are being obedient in one direction over and over again. That is their CV. I, I, I'm, I'm going to mention for a moment that my champion here is working at Sphere uh, Holdings, right, for mergers and acquisitions. That's, that's awesome, for four years. Uh, more importantly, he's married to Gail. Um, he, he's got a, a B bus Psy honors from Cape Town. All of that is wonderful. Here's what makes him great. He is living in one direction of obedience over and over again. And I, I thank you for that, Mike. And, and for that, you're going to give a deposit to us this evening. It's going to be powerful. The next person is exactly the same. Long obedience in one direction. Carl Fazale, who I've uh, admired from a distance. Her husband is the fittest man on planet Earth. <laughs> I mean, I think he's got like 1% body fat. Uh, try and hug him. You might break a bone or something. <laughs> Uh, but Carl is amazing. She's an actuary, um, and she has uh, been in her industry for over 22 years. Uh, she has done an MBA with Gordon Institute. Um, but more importantly, as I said, these are people who are living obediently, trusting the Lord to uh, impact their city, their areas of influence. So would you do me the favor uh, of giving both of them applause, but welcoming Michael onto the stage. Still. Bless you. Evening, family. So uh, I was chatting to a friend earlier this week. I told him I was going to be uh, preaching a sermon this Sunday. And I told him I was feeling pretty nervous about it. It's my second time doing it, but still, like, the nerves hit you from, like, 9 o'clock up until about now. <laughs> so anyway, but he was just like, Mike. Mike, like, take it easy, man. It's easy. It's easy to preach a sermon. All you got to do is open up the Word of God, read slowly, 
with emphasis. <laughs> like, <laughs> the kingdom of God is like a treasure in a field. <laughs> Allow it to simmer, let people feel the impact of it, and then invite the worship team up for a glorious moment. <laughs> you know, I've seen you move, let's do it again. <laughs> Yeah, but um, yeah, like I said, so my name is Michael. Um, I've been at The Hub since 2014. Uh, and yes, I met and married my beautiful wife here in the front. So, and we've been really blessed to be a part of this congregation. Like I can't, I can't express in words how grateful I am to be in this church. So my, my message today, I've, I've been given 15 minutes, so it's gonna be quite short, but um, it's a very simple message. And I basically have one point. And my point is this. That there's nothing in the world that has the power to transform the human mind. And <laughs> the human mind like the word of God. And the Bible still has relevance today. And it still has relevance in our working life. So, work. I think it doesn't really matter who you are. Everyone experiences conflict in some way, shape, or form if you're a working individual, right? So for some, it's being treated unfairly. For some, maybe impressive working environments. Others, it's sexism or racism. And others, it might be just general hostility. But yeah, like I said, it doesn't matter who you are, you're gonna encounter trouble in some way, shape, or form, which makes this verse particularly relevant in the working world, that where Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble but take heart, I've overcome the world. So for me, my conflict was working in a highly stressful working environment. So in 2014, that's when I started working, I was fresh out of university, I joined a graduate program at a local investment bank. A year later, I joined what's called the mergers and acquisitions team. So for those of you who don't have a clue what that is, all it really is is it's a, an advisory team in a bank that advises companies, typically large companies, who are looking to buy or sell assets. So you're advising companies on buying and selling other businesses. But the nature of this work is particularly demanding for junior analysts, so people at the bottom. They do most of the work. So to give you a sense of what my life was like for three years, I worked between 70 to 100 hours a week consistently. So. Uh, there would be days like on a Sunday, I'd go into the office at nine, I'd work the whole day till five, go to church, go to, go to um, Nando's with some friends from church, go back to the office, work till 2 a.m., like, and then do the same thing again, work from the morning into the a.m.s you know, on an ongoing basis. Needs to say, I was pretty sleep deprived. Um, <laughs> and the, so the work itself, very tight deadlines and high pressure. So. I mean, there'd be times where you'd be given work that you think would take you about two days, and they'll give you like two hours to finish it. And I think a really good comparison is, if you think back to when you were in high school or university, and you had that one week where you had five exams like in one week, and you, you know what that, that, that anxiety is like, right? That panic. So it was like that on an ongoing basis, and you kind of just learned to function in it. But it had a very strong performance excellence culture, which I'm grateful for, because I think that experience really taught me a lot and refined me and, and, and helped me become the professional that I'm today, but it was, it was tough. It was really, really tough. It was 100% or nothing. And if you did make a mistake, it was often met with very, very 
like, um, let's say, aggressive confrontation. So I can recall one situation where I was yelled at at the top of um, my senior's lungs about 30 centimeters distance from his face for something that was actually quite minor. <laughs> so it was tough. <laughs> yeah, you get the water if you preach, right? <laughs> So how did I cope? Uh, pretty badly. <laughs> so my, my first year, my first year in, like, in totality, like had some ups, but it was largely very challenging. So I went into this team already being a highly, highly self-critical person. So self-condemnation was something that I perpetually struggled with because I could never meet my own standards. I, from that, I took things very personally. So any sort of like criticism of my work was perceived by me as being confrontational. And it was very hard to divorce like the standards of my work or what people were saying from my identity. But I kept working hard. I kept just putting the hours in. And, um, but it, it still didn't take away from this thing where my inherent value, right, I believed was so strongly attached to my work. And so my life looked a lot like that graph. Like, okay, I know it's kind of silly, but yeah, I put it anyway. But basically, any time there was some level of criticism or conflict or yelling at, it, because I was so anchored in that, like, it would put me in a position where I didn't feel good about myself at all. And then I would do something good, and then I felt great about myself, and then low, and then, but there was this volatility because how I felt about myself wasn't based on anything solid. It was, it was effort. So, Hebrews 4 verse 12 reads, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Isaiah 55 verse 11 says, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So Philip Cole was my dad. Uh, he passed away in 2017, but he had a very huge role in shaping my faith. And he would say to me, like, Michael, the word of God changes everything. And my dad modeled a type of Christianity to me that involved a lot of active engagement in the word of God. So he would pick the Bible up, he'd go into his office, he'd read it for hours, he'd make detailed notes, and it was all part of this wrestling that he did to try and see what this word meant for his everyday life. And him modeling that, I tried to do that for myself. So my first year, not the greatest. Beginning of my second year, I had an extended quiet time and I took my, note, my notepad and I wrote down every single verse I could think of that spoke to who I was in Christ. And I also recalled every prophetic word that I'd I'd heard. So the first one being from my dad when I was 13, uh, and that was accompanied with him giving me a Bible and saying, you're on your own. The faith is now your responsibility. When I was 16, my mentor also had a word for me. And then Pastor Greg, when I was 24, um, this was just before I actually went into this team. And he said to me, okay, paraphrased, but Michael, you may feel overwhelmed, but you'll never be overwhelmed. And I took those words, I took that notepad, and then I actually just read everything that I wrote. 
it's a, it was a 10-minute voice recording. And I would go start my day every single morning listening to that. And I did that pretty much every single day for two and a half years. Well, two years, two years and a bit. And what happened as I was doing that, it, it was amazing. God did something incredibly profound in me through that. He taught me about conflict. And paraphrase, not, I didn't hear it exactly like God saying this, but this is what I was taught, is that you know, when I was criticized, yelled, or confronted rudely, um, every single time, um, every single time that happened, the nature of my response was indicative of the power I placed on that individual to define my value. So what God started doing, and this speaks to that Hebrews 4 verse 12, is the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates, it divides soul and spirit, joints and marriages of the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, is the word of God started separating, started separating my identity in Christ from the consistency of my work, good or bad. And because they were divorced and separated, I was positioned in such a way that when confronted, when in conflict, it didn't shape the identity. All it did, <laughs> might have been uncomfortable. It doesn't change the fact that confrontation is uncomfortable or you feel the way you feel, but your response is different when you operate from a place of wholeness. So, I guess in conclusion, I've learned three things that I hope will help some of you tonight. The first thing is that your professional successes and failures don't change your value to God. Jeremiah 9, 23 to 25, this is what the Lord says, let not the wise boast in their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. The second thing is your coworkers, or your seniors' opinions about you don't change your value. Isaiah 51, verse seven to eight, this is a scripture I held uh, close to my heart as a teenager, but it's hear me, you who know what is right. You people who have taken my instruction to heart, do not fear the reproach of mere mortals or be terrified by their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment and the worm will devour them like wool. But my righteousness will last forever and my salvation throughout all generations. Don't worry about what people think. It doesn't change your value. Uh, the last thing is the word of God brings freedom. So Galatians 5 verse 1 says, For freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not be burned again by yoke of slavery. James 1, 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So, I don't know, I'd like to kind of suggest to everyone that it doesn't, getting that revelation and that understanding of where your value lies doesn't necessarily mean, okay, cool, you've clocked it, you've figured out how to handle conflict. You're still gonna feel it you're still gonna be frustrated. People are still gonna let you down, but your response will be different. Your response can be different from an anchored place. So, I mean, we, last week and throughout the series, we've been focusing on Daniel, right? So Daniel, before he was tossed into that fiery furnace, 
was probably quite anxious about the fact that he was going to be tossed into a fiery furnace, right? In the furnace, he probably felt the heat, right? He must have felt overwhelmed, but he wasn't overwhelmed. He must have held, he felt the heat, but he wasn't singed. He was in the fire, but he didn't come out smelling like smoke. So I think for all of us, irrespective of what kind of environments that we're in, if we're kind of looking to the Lord and trusting him and focusing on him and anchoring our identity in him, we'll feel the fire, but you'll be okay. See our church, that's, that's it. That's it. Thank you. Good evening, family. Oh, goodness, hello. I lecture at Wits and I shout loudly. I have no mic normally, so I bellow. I also normally get 45 minutes, so sorry, Siv. <laughs> so now I've been part of this family since I was 18, which is some couple of few years ago. This is my first opportunity doing this. I have a lot to say. Okay, in case I'm never asked again. Okay, in case they don't ever ask me again. So I'm a little sad that I have a lot to say because really that means that my experience of conflict in the workplace, I mean, I'm sad that this is the thing that I get to talk about. But I do hope, what I'm really going to focus on today is the lessons that I have learned in these conflict situations. And I trust that something will spark with you. Somehow you'll be encouraged. Um, I seem to have learned a lot of lessons. So hopefully uh, you be encouraged by this and maybe you don't have to learn all of them the hard way. Um, so what I'm going to talk about today is chronic conflict. So for me, I've experienced three different kinds of conflict in workspaces. The first one is you work closely with your work colleagues, you, you, you spend a lot of time with them, you know their weaknesses and strengths, and you're under pressure often. Deadlines come, you know, um, you're hungry, you're tired, and at some point somebody blows up. Um, and usually that kind of conflict can be fixed by a humble apology and some jelly tots as a gift. Okay. So that's kind of the one kind of conflict which I'm sure we've all experienced and sometimes we've had to be the apologizer. Um, the second kind of context, conflict doesn't necessarily have to be conflict, it's usually a disagreement around work issues. I disagree with you technically on how we should approach something, I disagree with you on a client, how we should do this, our strategy, and if we are able to uh, stay grown up and responsible and keep it about the work, this can become a disagreement about a work issue and isn't actually a personal conflict. Sometimes we can't be that mature and we're very passionate about our views, so it does go back into conflict number one, we cross the line, we apologize, we provide jelly tots. Okay. So the other one <clears throat> is the one, sadly, that is the most difficult to deal with, which is this, the same situation that Michael was talking about, is that chronic conflict. So those are situations with ongoing, dysfunctional, broken relationships. So there's discrimination, it's hostile, it's oppressive, um, you know, it's just, uh, you're constantly being judged, you're found wanting, you're, you know, it's extremely difficult to live with and extremely difficult to change and solve. And this will often affect your self-esteem, which is why you have to do exactly what Michael was saying, get back to who you are in Christ, and it'll sometimes spill over into how you do your work. It's very hard when you're feeling judged all the time to be super amazing and creative, and you're just actually tired. Okay, so within these contexts where you are tired, and you're sometimes just done, I've learned that there are three areas in which we can 
gain some level of control. So we have some responsibilities, we get to respond in these circumstances, and we also need to know where we find our refuge. Firstly, my biggest responsibility, well, not my biggest one, but one of them is I maintain my excellence. Whatever I do, I work heartily as to the Lord. You don't have the power to decide whether I do a good job or not today. I am doing a good job because I work as to the Lord. I maintain my excellence, I do a good job. I'm also not gonna be in this situation forever and I want to be able to look back at this and go, okay, it was tough, but I held my ground, I did what I was paid to do, okay, and I did it well. So that, I maintain my excellence. The second one is I maintain my standard of righteousness. So we've been talking a lot about Daniel, Daniel 3 verse 12, um, King Nebuchadnezzar said that right, um, his men come to him and say there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty, they neither serve, neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So this is that fiery furnace situation. They are faced with a situation, I'm gonna bow down and worship the statue, or I'm not going to, and I'm gonna get thrown into the fire. And the bold part there is they had been set over the affairs of the promise of, province of Babylon. So we heard last week when Pastor Simon was preaching that they went through three years of training at the king's expense. They chose to eat um, their food, follow the Daniel fast, look after themselves per their Jewish faith. But they were promoted based on their wisdom and their excellence. And I'm sure that the king of Babylon had in his mind that he had purchased a certain level of loyalty from these people because they are in these positions of authority. And they were not on the same page. Okay, so I'm not on that page either. I've been bought by a much higher price than my salary or a promotion or anything else really. So I need to maintain that level of righteousness. And yes, sometimes that will cost me a promotion and it will sometimes cost me, you know, popularity at work. Um, about seven years ago, my husband Andrew uh, was working at a large mining company and he had a very difficult relationship with his boss and Andrew's job was to value a mining project and Andrew's boss was very optimistic at best about the value of this project and Andrew was under an enormous amount of pressure to make the project look more valuable to the company than it really was. So this led to many months of a very difficult relationship um, and Andrew was found to be a non-performer. In fact, he had had a performance review done in his absence where he was really found to be a non-performer. Um, so this led to a breakdown in the relationship and the view was that Andrew had to go and Andrew went. Um, so it was very stressful, he did not have another job. Um, but the option had been, you know, give up your integrity, basically lie about the value of this project and keep this nice job with these lovely perks and all the rest of it, which it really was. Um, but we know that that isn't really um, an option. So I'm not making light of the fire. You know, sometimes you will not bow down. You will be thrown into the fire and it will be hot. Um, but we know that we will not die in these circumstances. And this highlights one of our responsibilities. In that heat of the moment, you don't get to caucus. You know, the four of them didn't get together and go, all right, do we bow? Do we not bow? What do we stand for here? Like, where's our line? Okay, they knew their line. They knew we don't fire. 
That's it. So when you're in the heat of the moment, you don't get to go, uh, what, what were those scriptures again about what do I do? You need to be close enough to the source of righteousness that in that moment, you know exactly what you will do, no matter the cost. Okay. Which brings me to the next one, maintaining your authority. Okay, so your boss may have positional power of you, but this kind of man-made power is nothing compared to the God-given authority that is within you. So Matthew 16 verse 19 says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound on heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You are doing that at work. So your boss may have some positional power over you. You have the authority of the God Almighty. Your enemy wants nothing more than you to forget that when you're at the office and for you to be in a little small bullied hole somewhere quietly. And you must not allow this. Okay, so my story, I've had many conflict, long-term conflict situations. And my most recent one was a boss at my previous job who we will call John. Um, And John's management style was autocratic, sort of a bully. So he had two strategies for management. The one was a bully, and he had some favorites. I was not one of the favorites. Um, And the second strategy was he managed by numbers. So nothing was more important to him than the numbers, which means you end up managing purely revenue and expenses. You don't really pay attention to staff issues, staff development, actually client issues or other things either. One of the ways you manage numbers is you get rid of expensive staff. Actuaries are expensive professional staff. So you start bullying them out the business one at a time. While you're doing that, you start bullying the others to take over the work that's been left behind. And you're not very good at being challenged, and I was often accused of not being a team player in public because people were falling over. Um, But what happened is I have to remember that I have a dual role here. I must obviously do the work that I'm hired to do and do it well, but I also have to take ground for the kingdom. So you can call me a non-team player in various things, and it is hard and it's painful, and my poor husband had to listen to a lot when I went home. Um, But I cannot forget that I am um, carrying God's hope, his love, his victory, and his power into that place. Sometimes I need to do that for the other people who are also in that environment. And I need to provide sanctuary, even though it may be tough for me. And it helps me remember why I'm here. Some of us are struggling with why are we at work? You know, what's our purpose? Well, do this anyway. Take ground anyway. You know, that's partly why you're here. I was also there because John's wife, a mother of four, had a major heart attack. In fact, she died. And on that Thursday afternoon in September in 2016, at 12 o'clock, I sent a message to a lot of powerful praying women in this house. Immediately, messages came back. We found out a week later that at that moment, her heart started again. Okay, and John's wife is no longer dead. Three years later, she is alive and well. So I am there because when there's a crisis, I know who to call. I call. I call the person who, God who has conquered death in the grave. I am there for my Muslim colleague when her marriage is at its lowest. I pray with her in the boardroom because she is brokenhearted and I know the person who is closest to the brokenhearted. And I have to pray with her and call 
that person for her. My job is to remember who I am and the authority that I have in this space. And do not let the enemy steal that from me. He doesn't get to do that. It doesn't matter if I'm in a smaller job. I'm sort of operating in a different sphere in the kingdom of God. Okay, and then I also have some responses because sometimes, you know, you have to hold yourself in. Um, so how do I respond? Firstly, I do pray for my persecutor, not just when his wife is really ill, just generally. Um, Matthew 5:44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This does a lot of things, okay? Reminds you that your battle is not against flesh and blood. Your boss is not the enemy. He is broken, sad. She is lost, insecure. She's not the enemy. And praying opens the door for God to give us insight into what is happening in our colleagues' hearts and lives. And it moves the responsibility for fixing this onto the Lord's shoulders. I'm a numbers person. I admit I wasn't very good. I wasn't a natural at statistics. I know for sure that 100% of the people do not change when I point out what's wrong with them. Okay, that's not how people change. My job is not to change a colleague. My job is to pray. God changes hearts, and that's how people change. And I also pray for me that I will be quick to listen, slow to anger, slow to speak, and sometimes I pray that a lot. Okay, <laughs> I do have to. Sometimes a great fervor. Okay. Then you have to be ready with your response. Now, we've all been in that situation, sitting in a boardroom, and there's this fiery dart that comes at you. You know, situations we've been undermined, insulted. There's a backhanded remark, inappropriate sexual comment. Okay, and I'm never ready for these. Then I walk out, and I'm like, for hours. I should have said that, I should have said that. What was I thinking? Why wasn't I ready? Next time, next time, okay? Hours. Okay, but this isn't, I've also learned, this isn't the response I'm supposed to be ready for. I've got to be ready for this response. Okay, 1 Peter 3.15 tells us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have and to do this with gentleness and respect. I don't actually have to give your fiery darts any attention. Okay, Ephesians 6 tells me I have a shield of faith. Those darts die as they hit me. I take them off, light them again, and then fight with them. You know, I don't have to do that. I don't actually have the time or the grace in my day to do that. Okay, I must do this. I must have a response. Always ready for the hope that I have. Okay. Thank you, Dorian. Okay, this is things I've learned. All right. My last response, well, I mean, there could be others, but the ones that I've learned is to be the peacemaker. Matthew 5 verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Oh, I've also learned 100% better to be on the peacemaking side than the other side. Okay, it doesn't ever go well. And the promise of being called Son of God. Okay, we sang earlier that God has been reigning forever and reigns today still. You know, and sometimes I have to remind myself, I am the daughter of the Most High God. You don't actually get to talk to me like this. And I'm a little bit worried about you right now because my dad's coming. <laughs> you know, so you might... You might not want to. You might not want to go down this road. I don't have to fight this battle, but I'm going to get out the way. Um, and my dad is almighty and all-powerful, and we have to remind ourselves. Um, 
and being a peacemaker doesn't mean you are a pushover. You do have to know where's the boundary you must draw, what line you can draw. You are allowed to call out behavior that is out of line. And you do that in love, but you're not necessarily a pushover. Uh, but you do need to remember who you are and who you belong to. All right, and then we have spoken about this. The problem with this kind of toxic work environment, it is exhausting. It is so hard to be creative and energetic. Don't believe this is God's will for us at all. And you do need to find refuge and refuel before you go back into battle sometimes. And I have said this verse over about a million times over the last 15 years. Isaiah 54 verse 17. No weapon forged against you will prevail. And you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. No weapon formed against you will prosper. It just will not. Okay. So this is, you know, I felt sometimes as though I was the enemy of some of my colleagues, which implies that we're in the middle of a war. But really, I'm not in a fight. Um, for there to be a fight, someone has to win and someone has to lose. And I cannot lose. I can't lose my authority. I can't lose my joy. I can't lose my purpose. I can't lose the talents that God has given me. And I cannot lose, you can't take my peace away from me. And I rest in my father's arms because he's got this under control and I'm not in a fight. Okay, and the, and the last place of well, refuge is the safety of my family, my spiritual family, my husband, my sister, my physical family. You know, find people who you can bounce things off. It might even be a good idea to find someone like that in the workplace because you, uh, you know, sometimes you are offline and you need someone who you can balance your view with a little bit, someone who's a bit wiser and you can trust. But you do need somebody who can keep you a little bit sane, hold you accountable, pray for you, find refuge in your spiritual family and your uh, physical family. And then lastly, my hope. We know this verse very well, Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And that is absolutely true. I am now in a job with a lower salary, but a higher level of influence. And I am richer because of that. Um, and much more constructive and much more peaceful. And then the Lord's job is to raise you up. And you can relax. You don't have to chase a promotion. You don't have to run after things. You don't have to impress an unimpressible boss. Okay. You humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and He will lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. And you may feel small, and you may feel that what is in your hand is small, but be faithful with that. He cares for you. You're not forgotten in this environment. You take authority. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget the people around you who need you to possibly take spiritual authority. And I trust that for you, the Lord will work all of these things for good and that you will have a good report out of your work environments. And that's me. Thank you. Thank you.